because of the effectiveness of your work done in Christ in our lives. Lord, and we are excited that you have bought us with a price, a price that no one could pay, no one could think up, and just frankly, God, no one had. So, Lord God, as we dive into the Word of God, I pray that we would be transformed by your Word, um, that we would pursue the one who uh, reigns, and that our desire as the Word hits us, that it will be accurate, um, heart-stirring, and life-changing. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord God, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust, whom we trust. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Um, we are still um, in Ephesians. Um, we're still actually under the same section uh, uh, um, of chapter 1. Um, we're, we're in verse 18 today. Um, I think that's all we're going to be able to work through today is verse 18 um, because it's a lot um, in these verses, and I know we can't say everything about them, but I think we'd be remiss not to really dive into verse 18. Um, last week, of course, you know, we did as a topic under our Who Am I series, Identified as Intimate. Say, Identified as Intimate. That's the same title today. This part two. We're probably going to have part three next week of Identified as Intimate. Um, but as, as I, as I um, you know, me and my wife, we just moved around the corner, and, you know, I'm, I'm noticing that I've been out of this context since 1991. Amen. And it's been some interesting things happening as we've matriculated, so to speak. One of the things is I forgot that whatever the hot song is, everybody got it bumping in their ride. Um, matter of fact, everybody has a subwoofer in their trunk. Um, and if I hear this one song one more time, I'm going to scream in a Yugoslavian tongue. Um, they call me Big Michi, Larry Hoover, Whipping Work, Hallelujah. Some of y'all ain't know that joint, right? If I hear Rick Ross... One more time in somebody's trunk. And you know, I, you know, I, I said, let me, let me check this joint. I listened to the whole song. And you know, now hip-hop songs don't say much, verse-wise. They don't really use up 16 bars. They really only rap four of those 16 and let the music do the work while they ride that thing. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm checking out the song. But then, I, you know, a few months ago, I know 50 you know, had kind of put some things out there on main man that he really never sold drugs, right? That he was a security guard, right? He was a security guard doing security, working a blue-collar dude. And so as I listened to him talk, one of the things I started asking some of the Christian MCs and different ones, who, uh, those of us who like studying hip-hop culture, just asking them little questions about, you know, what is it about 
you know, main man. And what, what is he trying to come? Well, he says he's trying to do a, 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 a everything in hip hop is about, of, of course, in our culture is is believability. Say believability. And, and, and so and so and so that, that when you put out a song nowadays, you have to personify that which you communicate. In other words, you want people from an identity standpoint to view you as this particular type of person. So therefore, when he says, they call me Big Michi, if you know who Big Michi is, he was a big drug dealer. Larry Hoover, if you watch American Gangster, was another big time gangster, right? Big time dude during the crack era. And of course, his name is Ricky Ross, which of course, Rick Ross is probably one of the most beastie, uh, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about the rap, I'm talking about uh, the, uh, the drug dealer, one of the greatest and greatest mastermind kingpins of inner city history. And, and, and as I look at what, what my man is trying to, I'm not dogging him, what, he, what he's trying to personify, I'd love to chop with him, no, but, 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 but what he's trying to personify, he wants to be believed to be on the level of a particular type of kingpin in relation to drugs and want people to believe that and join in his enjoyment of that. Well, as we're talking about um, who am I, as we're talking about who am I, like, like, like what if, if we had a track to put out and God said, it's cool today to talk about you. Like, I'm going to just give you an opportunity to just say, like, spit who you are and I won't see you as self-worship. What would that track say about you? Who would be the point person that you'd want to be like in the hook? That you'd want to portray to other people, look, join me in my sphere of what I want to be like and enjoy this. What would our track be? And I'm hoping based on, if you, if you know Christ, if you know Christ, I'm, I'm hoping that our hook would be a holy hook. I'm, I'm hoping that we would be able to be identified in a way or want to identify ourselves in a way that God would want us identified. And so as we dive into this text today, it's, it's bananas to me because I, I'm, I'm rocked by the fact that, first off, we're still under the same section, and there's so much richness in here. So I, got, I do have two points today. We might get through one, but I think I got two points today, all right? So my point, people, you got a point today, all right? But look at verse 18. Matter of fact, go back to verse 17 because verse 18 is a continuation of this section. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. That, that's what we're going to spend time on, verse 18. We're going to spend time on this part. And in this part, Paul is, of course, talking about the fact that he wants Christians to have an in-depth relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Remember last week, we talked about the fact that every Christ, if you know Christ as Savior, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you, you, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship will never change. It will never change. You will always be a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ. We're going to get into that more in chapter 2, right? But, 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 but one of the things that Paul 
knows is not automatic is intimacy. Intimacy is not a given. Now, positional intimacy is given. The potential for intimacy is a given because Hebrews says that Jesus Christ has opened up the way for us to bombard the throne of grace regularly. So, so the potential for intimacy for every Christian is equal. However, the practice of it isn't. Therefore, koinonia, say koinonia. Koinonia is that aspect of the Christian life where it's not just, I think one of the things I, 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 we, we want us to understand as a church that koinonia just doesn't have to do with Christians spending time together and even being on mission together. Okay, Koine, true koinonia or fellowship is not a potluck. Okay, um, true koinonia and fellowship is not just hanging. Listen, the, the beginning of true koinonia, true fellowship first comes from the fact that God has been doing that with himself for eternity. God has been hanging out with himself, enjoying himself without being crazy. Okay, three persons, one God. But chilling all three together, um, I, don't know, I don't know what they did together, but they enjoyed each other for eternity. That's why God doesn't need anybody, because he is God all by himself, and he don't need nobody else. So he's been hanging with God for all the time that God has ever existed. Matter of fact, they still hanging together. That's why Jesus was like, I can't wait till I get back, because y'all whack down here. I'm ready to get back in my true community, right? But he said, before I dip, I do want to buy a group of people that have the potential for the same level of intimacy without being God that we have as the triune Godhead. That was his last request to the Father before he stopped praying about his death. John 17 is Jesus' prayer that we would be as intimate with God the Father as he is without being God. And so Paul, uh, Paul here in this passage is praying hard. He's praying hard for the Christians because he says, I want us to experience this intimacy that Jesus was praying for. He said, I, I, don't, want, I don't want Christianity to be a good idea. I want, the, I want the true nutrition of what it means to be a Christian to actually transform the core of your being. And so in verse 18, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal verse. I was hoping to get to it last week. But I talked too much, so we didn't get there. And he, look back at one thing just to give you an idea of this. He says, he says may, may give you, that is the Father, spirit of wisdom and insight. Now, remember we talk about that being a manifestation of the Holy Spirit to give us the ability to apply what we know and that revelation there points not to just some, 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 some ghost whisper that you heard. What? Revelation? What? That's not what we talk. Right there, it's talking about the unveiling of the gospel in the context of Ephesians. We'll get there when we get to chapter 3. Spend the whole chapter on it. It's going to be crazy fun. But so, so but here he gives a sneak preview to that, saying this revelation that I want you to understand is the mystery of the gospel. I want you to understand it not because, because you're already saved, right? You're already saved. You already know Jesus Christ is Savior. However, I do want you to get a progressive understanding of the impact of the gospel on your life and God to continue to do that in your life. Now he goes here and the prayer continues. And then he's going, after this, he's going to break it down into three subsections that he really wants. He's getting in the grid of prayer. So right here he says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Stop there. First point. Free to be identified as intimate. 
We have been freed up to be identified as intimate. We, we, we have been freed up to be identified as intimate. All right. Let's look at this idea of the eyes of your heart. Now, this is a motif throughout Scripture that's utilized to describe a whole bunch of things about the Christian. Jesus talks a lot about this issue and what he was proclaiming to people while he was on earth. When it talks about having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that, that's, 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 that's great figurative language to point to something massive for the Christian. Well, when, when it says the eyes of your heart, see, this is nothing bolts core Christianity stuff. Stay with me. He says, he says, the, the point of the eye is, it's metaphorically the avenue through which light flows to the heart and to the mind. It's the avenue, he's using figurative language, it's the avenue by which light flows to the heart and to the mind. Light being uh, not just the kingdom of light. You are darkness, not light. We're talking about what God says about himself, truth, basically, right? We see Jesus in Luke chapter 11. You don't have to turn now, I'll read it. Verse 33, he says, no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a, cedar, uh, in, in a cellar under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, uh-oh, your whole body is full of, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad or evil, that is the eye, your whole body is full of darkness. Stay with me. I know we're trenching in deep waters right now, but stay with me. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright. As when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So, so, what, so what, what's happening here is the eye is the eye gate to which light. We're talking about the spiritual eye. You know, we're not talking about the third eye of Osiris or something. But we're talking about God utilizing this euphemism to point to how truth enters us and how truth impacts us. Y'all still with me? So now he says, I want the eyes of your heart. He's talking about your heart has eyes. In other words, your heart has something that allows truth to penetrate it. I'm going to tell you how that happened through the cross in a second. Okay, real, real beautiful stuff. Now, the heart here is massive. Now, this is where we're going to spend our time. Because heart here has to do with three things that some of you, if you've been walking with us for a while, will understand what Paul means by heart. Say cardia. Cardia is the Greek word for heart here. Oh, yeah. That's where we get our idea of cardiac from. And here... Paul does something beautiful. He's asking that the way in which light enters you, I pray that that way that it enters your heart will totally impact every single fabric of your being. What do, what do I mean by that? When we use heart in the scriptures, and it's funny, it didn't say hearts, plural. It said hearts, singular. In other words, now he's praying specifically for each and every individual corporately yet individually because he's not wanting it to just be an over, just, just a, just a overlay of something, but he wants each and every redeemed person impacted by the revelation of the gospel. He wants you to have a real, there's an expectation on you. Listen, there's an expectation based on God saving you that truth will impact you. 
In, in other words, we don't just hang around and go through all of this stuff so that we can just so that we can just be. He wants us impacted by truth, truly. And so it's the heart. The heart here is used as the seat of the entire inner being. The seat, and I'm going to chop those areas up, the seat of the entire inner being of you and me. You got to understand this. In the New Testament, of course, heart is represented, especially the sphere of God's influence in the human life. It is in the heart that the natural knowledge of God has its seat. Romans 1.21. And there also... In the light of knowledge, the glory of Jesus Christ shines in the face. The glory of God shines in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Now, this is how we know that the gospel has at its core us being totally transformed in our inner core. Now, when he talk, now, 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 now it could be actually uh, uh, translated here since your heart has been, in, the eyes of your heart has been enlightened. So he's saying that your heart has been enlightened but you're not walking in the potential of what you've been enlightened to do. Stay with me. No Christian does. That's why we need sanctification. That's why we have to grow up. In other words, just be, this is where you understand, and this Paul is trying to help us to understand that being a Christian is not ins your insurance policy. But God invests in salvation with his goals for salvation to actually happen through life. So Ezekiel, I always quote this passage because this is the central passage that prophesied through Ezekiel that God was going to renew people through the gospel, change you from the inside out, not from the outside in. See, God is a real God, and he doesn't like fake change because fake change ain't real change anyway. He wants true change that actually changes you. Now, based on the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, this was going to be the impact of the one he pleased to crush. He says, I will sprinkle you clean with water, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. That means that everything that makes you trifling will be removed. All right? Every one of us is raggedy, including me. Every one of us. Stop lying to yourself. You're trifling. And in need of renewal, everyone, stop, don't, don't say, no, that's not me. No, you're not good. You're terrible. You're, you're the worst of the worst. I mean, if you really understand yourself, you're raggedy, torn up. But there's a promise for those who believe. And he says, I will clean you from all. I like one trans, they say, you're filthy idols. They don't just say idols, but just filthy. He says, and I will cleanse you. In other words, God taking the responsibility to wash your stinking dirty behind. I don't know if you've ever washed a grown-up before. Now, I can wash my son, my, 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 my youngest. But I'm talking about, think about a grown-up. Defecation. That too. And every, just went out, and you having to go and wash them yourself. And having to deal with the stench of how raggedy and trifling and stinky that grown-up is. I want you to just use that as a picture. If that's external filth, listen, if you don't wash for a week, how bad are you going to stink? Now think from the day of your birth to the time you got saved. <laughs> how dirty you are because you're born in sin, 
but how dirty you become because you walk in. Oh, anyway. So he says in verse 26, he says, I will give you a new heart. Wow. 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 Through Christ, through the cross, through his death, he gives you a new heart. Now, what is the heart, though? What is it? What's the makeup of that joker called a heart? He talks later about every heart being hardened. Being, having a hard heart, and this has to do with Ephesians, stay with me. That means you have the inability to respond to God. No matter how much you pray, no matter how much you read, no matter how much you say you're a seeker, you're not. Your heart is stone before Jesus. Your heart is irresponsive before Jesus. Your heart hates everything that has to do. But Pharaoh says, how in the world do I, am I going to let the people go since I don't know the Lord? He admitted it. I don't know him, so why should I let them go? Why? Because his heart was stone. But here, the idea in the Hebrew mindset and the part that Paul pulls on is three aspects that we're going to spend a little bit time on chopping up in what God expects in the Christian's life to be enlightened, to be transformed. In other words, it's been positionally enlightened, but now it has to be practically enlightened. We'll talk about what enlightened means in a second. First off is your rational life. Say rational life. Oh, oh God, help me. Rational life. Heart means intellect first. Intellect. That's where your values are. <laughs> How you make decisions. In other words, the, everybody has theology. The question is, is it biblical theology or me theology? But whether you're an atheist or an agnostic or a so-called Christian, you have theology. Every person operates on a rubric. Everybody. We're going to, I can't give it all away because we're going to talk about that in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Okay? Now, your rational life is the processing of values, thoughts, and information that shapes how we look at everything. Paul is wanting for the Christian them to walk in the enlightenment that God brings through the gospel. The need for the transformation of our intellectual life. Therefore, as Christians, we're not anti-intellectual. If you're walking around saying, oh, that's too much. I, I, see, all that theology and all that stuff. I, see, I don't, you don't need all that to be a Christian. Yes, you do. Look at me. Yes, you do. You can't know a God that you make up. Therefore, God has to train. That's why it says, that's why it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, before you present your bodies, something has to change. Be not conformed to this what? Cosmos, this world, but be ye what? Transformed by the renewing of what? So, so when you trust Christ as Savior, even though your mind, that means the capacity for your rational life to now receive new information, you don't have the new information in you, therefore, that's what we get truth from the scriptures for, to reorder our minds. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, you receive the mind of Christ. 
That means that you have received the capacity to think like Jesus Christ, but you don't have the information that brings the transformation. So now, when we're looking for trans, that's why you can't, like you can't go through the Christian life, like acting like you don't need truth. You can't just say, well, I just want to hear a word. See, know what you mean when you say that? I want something for the moment that can get me through the week so I won't have to spend time with the Lord myself. That's what you're really saying. I need a word. You know, I need to be fed. You know, that ain't be Okay. I, but you know what you mean when you say that? That'll, that's so more consumeristic spirituality. See, 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 when you get beyond consumeristic spirituality and recognize that God has freed you up, when Christ died on the cross, he took your rational life out of the bondage of all the raggedy stuff that you were taught all your life. Some of us were taught in our homes, even in Christian homes, legalistic Christianity. In other words, if you do this, God will accept you. Paul's like, no, because Christ has done this, God has accepted. That has to change your mind. See, if, if, you, if the revelation of the gospel doesn't change your mind, then you're going to look like you're not saved. Nothing else in your life can change until your mind changes. <laughs> I'm telling you, if, that doesn't, if your values don't change... If your think, if stinking thinking is not removed, you will not change. So when Paul says, I want the eyes of your heart open, the first area he wants open is your intellectual life. I like Proverbs 4.23. Most of the time we read this wrongly. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance or diligence. For, now this is the part we miss. From it flows the springs of life. Now, most of us think, you know, I got to guard my heart against evil. That's not what that verse is saying, even though you have to do that. It's talking about where mess can come from, not mess coming into it. So he's saying guard over your heart because of how raggedy your heart is. That means God does want you to challenge your heart. Now, one of the areas of challenge is the way you think. If you don't challenge the way you think, your heart will not continue to walk in the change of the transformation that Jesus Christ brings. So first, rational life must be transformed. <sighs> so, I'm going to move on from this, but to be a Christian, in short, means that you were born to think. You were born to not leave your thinking at the door. You were born to not leave your mind at the door. In other words, some, this not, had to do with your grades in school. Some of y'all say, I got F's, so I can't. No, nah, we ain't talking about those type of tests. Born to use your mind to the glory of God in every facet, in every form. Your mind was released from the bondage of sin, released by Christ from the captivity of self-worship and an idolatrous view of human worth aside from what the creator has ascribed. That's why deception at its core comes from the inability to appraise or exalt what God wants for us above that which Satan wants for us. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3 says, Paul says, I betrothed you to one husband, even Jesus Christ, lest, like Eve, you be what? Deceived being drawn away 
from what? The simplicity of devotion to Christ. So now let's move to emotional life. Again, we're still in this verse, having the eyes of your what renewed? Heart. So now we see rational life must be transformed. Now, if your rational life, your intellectual life is not transformed, this next area is doomed. Emotional life. Second is emotional life. What, is he, what does he mean by this? With passions, affections, and the authenticity of where we are and what we treasure the most. This is, called, this is where your likes and dislikes are. This is when, this, when you're passionate about something, this is where it lies. However, it must begin, you, your passions are shaped by what you value. So if you don't have the right information about God in your system, then what you value will not be what God values. Because God saved us to have our hearts married and enjoined like a Siamese twin to his. So when he says, I want the eyes of your heart enlightened, he says, I not only want your mind enlightened, but I want what you like enlightened. And so, and so therefore, our desires become renewed and healthy, and we don't use in uh, 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 um, bad outlets to exact our passions through. Okay. So, so, so rational life, emotional life, then volitional life. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on volitional life here. But this is what he said has practically been changed by Jesus Christ. So this is where the execution of everything we believe and we desire lies. I'll talk more about it in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, when we talk about the volitional life of the Christian being changed by the gospel and what we were before Christ dead in our trespasses type stuff. But volitional life is the execution of what you believe and what you're passionate about now being executed in actually doing what you say you believe and what you're passionate about. If you say you believe something and it hasn't transformed your passions, then guess what it's not going to transform? You're walking. Pat, pat, pat. Pat, pat, pat. Pat, pat, pat. That's how it's supposed to happen. Bat, bat, bat. Mind, emotions, will. Mind, emotions, will. Mind, if your mind isn't changed, your, will, your, your emotions won't be changed. And guess what else won't be changed? That's why scripture memory and reading by itself, without God changing the core of our soul through it, and us liking what he gives. I like, David is crazy. He says, your, he says, your word is sweeter than honey. Now, he's talking about the law, the Tanakh, the whole law, prophets, and writings. And we're talking about rough stuff, too. And he says, all of it is good. Your word is truth. Your word is good, right? Volitional life. So, he goes down and he says that your hearts may be enlightened. Now, this idea of enlightened, this occurred... In the past when we trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So the gospel has removed the barriers that were in the way of us seeing God and knowing God intimately. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, verses 3 and 4, said that, I, that, we, that, that Satan had put a veil over our eyes. Now he's talking about the eyes of our heart that Paul calls to be enlightened. Our heart used to be darkened, and Satan 
utilize that darkness to continue to keep the gospel blocked from us. That's why you can't be saved without God's help. Because the veil has to be removed by the power of God, not by the will of man. You think you willed yourself when you heard the gospel? God had to remove the veil so that you could even see the gospel. <laughs> so, so now he's saying, now that you see the gospel, now that the veil has been removed, Satan now, now no longer has the practical ability to really deceive you anymore. Now through the gospel, you, you, like, you have the ability to no longer be deceived. And he's praying this for the Christian. He wants them to have clarity of sight. So the better we understand the gospel, the closer in community we get to the Father, the more intimately we experience him, and the clearer and more satisfied we will be in who he has made us to be in Jesus. So are you satisfied with Christ's death for you today? In, in whom the, the, does the core of your confidence lie? Every counseling session bears down to that issue right there. Do you regularly examine yourself for needed areas of repentance? Are you willing to embrace where God has you in order that you may not get distracted and complain leading to dissatisfaction with God and who he has made you to be. There's only one thing in the Bible God gives us freedom to brag about. Did you know God gives us one bragging right? There's only one thing we can be boastful about. Did you know there's one thing? There's, one, there's only one thing in Scripture, based, and this is based on Paul's prayer, that we can boast about. Not with swagger, but, 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 but to boast about. I'll read it for you. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. There's only one thing you get to brag about, that you know him. You get to brag, if that, that's only if you know him though. If, if you know him, if you yada him, if you epignosco him, if, if you yada means to intimately know someone, someplace, or something, if you yada God through Christ, you can brag about it. That's the greatest brag that anybody can have. It's to say, man, I know God. Like, like, like I, know, I know when my wife and I saw a star one time, we was like, dang, look, I can't believe I just saw this person. I'm like, and then I examined, I said, what is it about me seeing this star that's rocking me? I just saw them. I don't know them, but I'm being rocked off of seeing them. But God gives us the ability to see him and know him. And, and, do we get rocked off the superstar of the universe? 
that God has given you a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. That is your boast. That's where your identity lies, that you get to snug up and walk. You get to walk into the throne room where Jesus is seated, where the glory of God in unapproachable light, you get to just walk up in there and just begin to bow. You get to walk up in there and you get to begin to pray and talk to the one who created everything. That's intimacy, fam. That's intimacy at its best. This way has been made open. And many of us take advantage of everything else that he's created, but not the one who created us. I, I, I pray, I pray today, I'm going to stop here. I, I pray today that God would give us a righteous boast in him. A righteous boast. That God, I, I want to know you. Now, know that when you pray that, what you perceive knowing him to be is going to be transformed. Because in order for intimacy to practically take place, God has to do some stuff to get the practical barriers out the way so that intimacy can be free-flowing. That means prepare to go through some stuff. Because you know what you're not going to do? You're not going to pray. You know what? God knows we're not going to pray because we're raggedy, right? Remember that? But we've been positionally made unraggedy by Christ. Now, what he does is he'll throw a storm your doggone way so that, and then you'll start trying to pull switches in your life to think things are going to work. Then they won't work. He'll back your behind up in a corner, the last tile in the room, in the corner, no light in that area. And what you're going to have to do is either you're going you're to do the last stand on your own, or you're going to look up to glory and call to the one who you say you want to know, and now say, God, right here where I stand, God, I want to know you. What does God have to allow in your life for you to pursue knowing him? He wants to change the way you think. He wants to change your, your life is not your own. Because your life is not your own. God chooses to make himself known in Christ to you the way he doggone well pleases. <laughs> so therefore, I'm going to say it again. Stop complaining about where God has you. Because he's using where you are right now to get to know him better. And you're envisioning being in another place in life where you think it's going to be better and you'll be able to have a better spiritual. No, your spiritual life doesn't start in God changing your circumstances. Your spiritual life begins by God changing you. So now I want you to think about where you are. I want the most frustrated person, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Won't want to know all that right now. But the most frustrated person, so if you're frustrated where God has you right now, I want you to pray to God during this prayer. God, and I know you've been praying against this, and I know you think this is a demonic prayer. God, don't change. I'm, I'm praying that you don't change where I am right now. Change me. Transform me. I pray that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened. Change my thinking, God, about you. Because it's not really nothing. See, 
you're thinking the situ- your, your thoughts between, over the situation needs to change. Your thoughts about God needs to change. God, even though he's not calling you to like your situation, he's calling you to love him in your situation. <laughs> okay? And then you will begin to glorify him now because your mind has been changed, your passions have been changed, but guess what else has been changed? Your ability to execute his word has been changed. Therefore, for the first time in this circumstance, you're pointed towards the glory of God, not comfort for me. So let's pray that together. And I'm going to shut down on that point. Father, Paul prays a massive prayer for us. A massive prayer for us. I know I've been there. Well, I'm wishing and daydreaming about my life being in a different season or something being over that I want over. Not realizing the very thing I want to get rid of is the tool that you're using to work on me. <laughs> the, the very thing that I want to, to, to evacuate, the, the very thing that I, you, you know, that, that the Lord God, that I want to remove from my life is the very tool of sanctification that you're using for one thing and one thing only, for me to get to know you better. God, I pray for your people today, pray for us, that we won't wish life off of us, but that we would pray your life in us. That God change our values. We value the American dream. God, we value MTV Cribs. Lord, Lord, we, Lord God, we value, we value we value the fabulous life of, we va- that's why we, we value, we value at the core that which does not bring identity, but that which is a fog to true identity. And God, change our passions. We're never called to like our circumstances, but we're called to be content in them. And we're not called to be complacent in our circumstance. Help us to stop worshiping our circumstance and help us to worship you. And Lord God, while we're in it, whether it's a trial, it may be something, God, just as simple as I don't like this where I am right now. I don't like my job, or I don't, I don't, I don't like where I live, or I don't like my bank. I don't I just don't like this. It's not like some major trial, but some way, shape, or form, it's just a big disruption to our ability to glorify you, God. For some strange reason, Lord God, the smallest, most nagging thing can be a huge deterrent to us honoring you. So God, change our rational life. Change our emotional life. And change our volitional life. Because positionally, you've given us transformation. Help us to walk in that transformation and help us to be fighters. No matter where we are, what sin we're in, help us to be fighters because of what Christ is. We fight from victory, not for victory. We desperately need you, God. And God, I pray that no matter what happens in our life, I pray that every single day of our life, that our intimacy with you will progressively move forward. Every single day. Help us to sense your presence. Help us to experience the joy of our salvation. Lord God, help us to love you 
with more and more and more affection every single day and help our love of everything else to look like hate in comparison to our great love for you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.